Hey everybody, this is Danny Goodwin, executive editor of Search Engine Journal. Thanks so much for joining us again uh, for another special edition of the Search Engine Journal show. On today's episode, we're continuing on with our series where we highlight some of the top SEO and digital marketing experts and authorities about their career journey. These are some of the people I think you should know about if you don't already, or the people in our industry that you should get to know more about. Uh, but we won't be talking about tactics or strategies on today's show. We'll be talking about their careers, uh, the real-life struggles that they faced and overcome, as well as the lessons they've learned along the way. So many people have some really extraordinary and compelling stories about how they got into search and built a successful career. And today I'm going to share another such story with you. So we hope you're enjoying this special series, and we always want to make them better, so please tweet us at SEJournal, or uh, you can tweet me at Mr. Danny Goodwin on Twitter. We'd love to hear your feedback. In today's edition of Better Know a Marketing Pro, I am joined by Perna Vergi. Perna is the Senior Manager of Global Engagement at Microsoft. She's been in the industry for almost two decades now. Uh, you may have read her on popular industry publications such as Search Engine Journal, Moz, and Search Engine Land, among others. Uh, she's spoken at conferences such as MozCon, Adweek, Inbound, DMEXCO, the Next Web Conference, SearchLove, and Brighton SEO. Uh, in 2018, she was named as a Young Influential by Adweek. You can find her on Twitter, at Pernavergi, and on LinkedIn, also, at Pernavergi. Perna, welcome to the show. It is great to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much, Danny. I'm so excited to be here. We are all excited to have you. And uh, yeah, let's let's just get kicked off. Um, as, as always, I like to sort of dive into your personal journey and your childhood. So I, I was curious, what was Perna like as a child? Oh my gosh, I was super naughty. So I was getting in trouble at school because I like to talk a lot in class. Oh, no. So yeah, pretty much. I had great grades growing up because, you know, I went to school in India. I was born in India. I spent my childhood there. And the people who are really considered cool in school are the ones who do really, really well. So it's like the opposite here, right? The nerds are like made fun of. And in India, like the nerds are revered. So, I mean, I had really good grades, but all the time the teachers would tell my parents every time, like, oh, she keeps talking in class. Like she'll, she'll, she's distracting other people. So that hasn't changed about me today. So that's still there, but otherwise I was a um, pretty normal average kid, like to study, like to play, like to, I was very determined. <laughs> so yeah, I think I drove my parents mad a little bit. So I'm still <laughs> apologizing them, to them now. <laughs> uh, did you sort of have a, like a dream from a young age of, you know, what you wanted to do when you grew up or um, did that not sort of uh, come about until later, later on in your Oh favorite? my God. It kept changing. It consistently kept changing. Like first I wanted to be a vet. I wanted to open my animal hospital. And then I wanted to be a tennis player like Steffi Graf, who was my idol at the time growing up. And then somehow or the other, like because it, I kept changing my mind, like I did not have one set thing that I really wanted to do, even pretty late. So then when I went to um, for higher education, I'm like, what do I study? I chose journalism because you're not doing the same thing over and over again. It's, mm. You're meeting different people, you're getting to touch upon different subjects. So it was really mainly because of my inability to hone in on 
one set thing that I wanted to do that I found myself in in journalism. Very cool. Um, so as a child, um, did you sort of have like an on-brand uh, moment or you were, if looking back where you go, oh, that was sort of like an indicator that, you know, I would end up in, you know, either journalism or marketing. Like, was there anything that sort of sticks out when I say that as like, oh yeah, I should have known from then that's what I would do as a child? You know, I always like my favorite subjects in school were for like English classes and especially writing what we call compositions. So like writing, I guess, mini articles or things. So that was always my favorite. And I always would inject like my terrible humor, my dad jokes and everything from a young age that clearly I am, there's no hope for me. <laughs> I was like this always. I remember because all the teachers would be like, oh, you're so, you know, that's so funny. I really liked what you wrote. So things like that, that always gave me the most joy. So I think it's not surprising today that I still end up creating and researching and doing things like that. And I also was, I could never accept things at surface value or be like, oh, you know, if I asked about how does this work? And people are like, oh, that's just how it is. That would drive me crazy. I'm like, no, 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 I have to like dig deep and understand and find that. And I read a lot as a child, like I was never without a book in my hand. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I, I really liked the research. I liked writing about it. So maybe that's led to where I am now. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Uh, what is the first piece of technology you remember being obsessed with? It was my Atari gaming system. Ooh, <laughs> Back which, in which the day. Which version? 2600 or? <laughs> I honestly don't remember oh, now, okay. but that was, yeah. that was like considered super cool. Oh, and then it was like my VCR when we got it. Mm. Um, as a child in India, like we were a closed market for a while. So technology, mm -hmm. it always reached us later. So I remember like growing up all the bands and songs I thought was super popular and current where everyone was like, oh, that's like five, six years old. Like, how do you know this band? Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, yeah, so I don't remember what Atari it was. But that what it was. Then I got my PC when I was six, 17 at home and dial up internet. And I'm like, thought this was magic. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so how did when did you end up coming over from India to the U.S. and what 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 brought you over? Well, first I moved to the U.K. to do my uh, to study, oh. and while I was living, I was living in Wales. I went to Cardiff Uni. I met a boy and <laughs> fell in love with the boy, and then you know we dated for a while, and then he moved to America, and then I finished studying and I was working, and I spent a year back and forth between London and Philadelphia, where my husband decided to do, well, my now husband decided to move. Mm -hmm. And when I was like young and stupid and madly in love, I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to be apart from you. And so the most unromantic marriage proposal ever, Danny, was on oh. the phone, like long distance, some super expensive phone call at the time. Like, <laughs> Listen, just move to America and we'll get married. And I'm like, okay. But then I'm like, you have robbed me of a good story to tell our grandchildren. Like, what is this? Like, I have had the worst wedding proposal in the history of wedding proposals. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's very sad. So then I moved to America in 2003, and I've been here ever since. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Um, so you didn't get right into marketing, though. So what did you do before you got into the marketing and... Uh, search space. 
I was this super idealistic journalist. So at first mm -hmm. I thought I'll come in, I'll go, I'll cover wars and strife. And then I'm like, well, I can't live in a camp. <laughs> That's not for me. <laughs> but I was still very much an idealistic journalist. So I moved here and I got myself an internship at the local PBS station. Now Philly has two PBS stations, like the public TV stations. One's much more popular and one slightly less popular. So mm -hmm. of course I got a job with the slightly less popular one, mm -hmm. but I loved it. It felt like home. And then, so I started interning there, then they hired me to produce their talk show. And then I, I produced that and I did that for almost four years. It was amazing. Like I ended up winning like Tally Awards, the uh, Pennsylvania Association of Broadcaster Awards. We even, our TV show was nominated for like a regional Emmy, like not the big deal Emmys, but like the regional ones. And it was, I think till date, one of my most amazing cherished experiences that paid nothing, but it was still so fun and enriching. And you got to meet different people from different walks of life and like Nobel Prize winners or uh, people who've really overcome amazing things in their lives. So that was, that was I loved that job. So that's what I did uh, until I had to, I had to leave. So you, Danny, you know I've spoken about this before, but my son was born with a lot of health issues. So I was, he was born over three months early, and mm. again, no, so many health issues. Like I, you know, the doctor would tell me every night he was in the NICU for three months. Like they would tell me every night that prepare yourself, he may not survive until the morning. So it was super rough, and then mm. he came home with like um, his. We had a heart monitor because his heart would just stop beating. So, you know, it was just, there was a lot of terrible things going on. He had no immune system. And I realized that I couldn't do my super cool, amazing job as a TV producer because it's super long days, don't know your schedule much in advance. And I'm like, I have to cross over to the dark side, quote unquote, which was <laughs> traditional PR. And I remember at university, like one of our professors had said that most of you in this room are gonna leave journalism and work in PR. And we're like, that will never happen to me. And of course, dark side pays better. Dark side has better hours. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and so that's how I ended up moving into traditional PR. And yeah. Then I'll tell you how I found search, or I don't yeah. know if you have another oh, sure. question. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, we're yeah. working. So, so I guess, well, yeah. So let's let's transition then. Um, so so from PR, how did you sort of yeah get into search, and you know when did you first hear about SEO and all that stuff? Well, my best friend was working for AOL. At the, so this is the early 2000s. So they okay. were like super huge still at that time, right? Mm. So she was working for AOL in London and telling me about this thing called SEO and then she went and joined this agency that was doing SEO and PPC for the top agencies and when I got my job in PR it was with a it was a startup that was mainly focused on software and as, as software as a service and PR was just a smaller arm mm -hmm. and I don't know Danny about you but I, I wouldn't go and go to my technology company and ask them for PR. I would probably go to an ad agency. So we weren't that busy. And I'm like, well, I've got this new child, like insane medical bills, everything to pay. Like I need to make sure my job's steady. And so my best friend in London, Sibylla, was telling me about this PPC SEO thing. So I went to my CEO at the time. I'm like, we should try out this cool new thing called SEO. And long story short, she was like, well, try it for us, if it works, then let's try it on some clients. And then if that works, then maybe we'll offer it. So I did, 
it worked because it was so easy in like the early like mid the mid 2000s because mm -hmm. you just put in your dmas listing and get a few links and stuff the keywords and you're like boom i'm ranking mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. so like we're, felt like a rock star we're like that's it i'm there i read mars i read search engine watch where you were editing before and all of this to learn and get better and then they were like, okay, great, we'll offer this as a service, but we don't know how to sell it. For now, you'll have to go sell it. So I did the glamorous jobs of speaking at like the Builders League of South Jersey <laughs> or like the Rotary Club and doing these small, tiny business gatherings where mm -hmm. me and a sales guy would go. I'd talk about what SEO and PPC are and how they can help a business. And then we'd sign up customers. And yeah, that's how I started my super glam speaking career <laughs> wow okay um yeah so it wasn't all glitz and glamour from the start and keynote <laughs> yeah, exactly like, how can you beat that like the rotary club or yeah, right. whatever yeah that's, that's a <laughs> that's a small start but you know it, it did pay off for you later on so um yeah so so moving forward in your career um you know i i just look over your linkedin page and you know it looks like you've worked in various startups um you know, through your career. So um, I guess to start with, like, what, what were some of the early challenges you faced in your career, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, with SEO and the PPC side of things? Um, and how did you overcome them? I think initially, because it was sort of like, not wild, wild west, but it was still like forming at that time, we, it was more about knowledge gathering. Like when I worked at that agency that I worked at, for for like uh, uh, three years ish, mm -hmm. they it was still startup mentality. There was very little money to go out and get learnings. But you know, I would beg and beg, and you know, they let me go. Like a big defining moment for me was go and take Brad Geddes's. Like he was doing the official one for Google, then the official AdWords training course. Mm -hmm. So I went and I did that, and it was like a two day course. And like this is amazing, and just opened my eyes to like the true power of what I could do. So that was initially was about knowledge gathering and then explaining it to clients, mm -hmm. which I think sometimes explaining it to clients still is an issue today. Um, but those were the things. And then trying to know which data sets I could gather, how do I get it all, how do I put it together? Because I remember reading like, oh, if you get this piece of data, then you, you'll go to optimize it in this way. And it was very hard to get from like the SMB clients that the agency had at that time. And so then I went in-house which was actually really, really helpful. And that was a very defining um, job in my career because they taught me all about business. And I think that job that I had at the startup was, I was so lucky to get it because they were very much teaching everyone. They wanted everyone to be like an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. so like if you, you know, we have a warehouse, go and work and just, you know, shadow those guys and figure out how fulfillment works. Shadow the head of the customer service and the call center to see how that works and how do they optimize? What are the metrics they use? Follow finance and see how we run our books. So they really, it was like an MBA in a job mm. and they taught me so much. And they were the ones that again encouraged me to go out and do some of these industry events, and and that's how I met you, Danny. Yes, it is. <laughs> so that yeah, <laughs> that's pretty impressive, though. You know, because I know a lot of the a lot of the companies that people work for, it's like they want to keep all their knowledge in house, and you know, there's just a, a, a true lack of learning at some of these places. So that's really cool that you had that opportunity. 
Yeah, I feel so grateful for it because I mean, they really taught me what it was like to think like a CEO and to run mm. your own business, and and that that that's priceless that yeah. level of knowledge. And it just made me a better marketer because I could really think big picture. I wasn't in the weeds all the time with the tactics, mm -hmm. but I could think about, okay, if I do this, and this is the impact it's gonna have on our overall bottom line. And mm -hmm. I loved getting to know that. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything else from, from your startup days that, I mean, obviously that was the big one, but is there anything else that's you know still helping you uh, to this day? Like any sort of lessons you learned along the way? Um, that you know are still helping you now i think one of the biggest like values that was drilled into me from like startup days is that there's no work that's too small for you like do it all if it's and it's all about what's best for the customer because they're the ones that pay your paycheck at the end of the day mm -hmm. if we don't have the customers there's no money so it was very much about thinking customer centricity at that start thinking about you know being the best like how do you level up your knowledge it's I was very, I didn't like asking for help. And, but at that time, they really taught me like, listen, if you want to know things like go out to the people in the field and just ask them for help. And at that time, I'm like, no one's going to spend time with me. But there was so, there's so many generous, amazing people in our industry. Mm -hmm. so, so that's still stuck today, where if I'm not sure if I have a question, then, you know, I will just reach out to people and ask. And more often than not, they will say yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. This, this industry is so generous for that. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you are too, of course, whenever <laughs> I, I, I know like so many people who just randomly tell me stories about you. So uh, it's good that you're oh, also, no, uh, yeah, it's great that you're passing that along too. Like it's not that it's just you're taking, you're also, you know, giving as well. So you have to in fact like yeah. will reynolds one of my mentors like he says it best he said if somebody helped send the elevator down for you it's your job to send it back down and help lift somebody else up and i have you know so many giants help me on their shoulders that you must give back and i find it's actually more rewarding so i mentor as well a lot of people within microsoft as well and when i watch them succeed i find it's almost like 10 times more satisfying than mm if I come back and I'm like, I felt something good. So I encourage everyone to try it. Yes, absolutely. Try it more. Cause I mean, people already do it in our industry to be fair. So, um, go ahead and mentor more and give back. It's an amazing feeling. Absolutely. Now you also did a little bit of freelancing, right? On your own, um, during, before you got to Microsoft, correct? I did. I did. So okay. I, so I was, um, I was at our, um, at a, at a job that I started and I felt like I had not much control over what I could do. And so I was uh, like a mentor of mine was like, Prana, go out on your own. And, you know, I think you could do really well. So I did. I went out on my own. I started my own business and for like three months and then Microsoft reached out to me. Mm. And then I was like, well, you know, things are going really well. What do I do? Because, and I, I remember talking about it with a few different people and, so yes, I only had my own business for like less than six months mm -hmm. and I, I enjoyed it a lot. But then when Microsoft reached out to me and it was a great role and I remember I met like my manager at the time during the interviews and I'm like, I really liked him. I thought it was like amazing. 
And at that time, I was like, what do I do? Like, my business is going really well, but this is also a really cool opportunity to, to work at Microsoft. And then I remember asking, like, a couple of my mentors, and they were like, listen, take the job at Microsoft, and if it doesn't work out, leave after a year, and then, at the you know, you can double your rates, and <laughs> you'll have that name. And I'm like, ah, good idea. Maybe I'll do it. But then I... I'm so glad I did. I actually, I'm a very proud Microsofty. I drink the Kool-Aid. I'm not ashamed to say that. <laughs> um, yeah. So this leads into one of our reader questions uh, from Twitter that I got. Uh, at Hellman's on Twitter, want to know, do you ever miss being self-employed? Um, to be quite honest, no. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, you know, there's, I love working at Microsoft because they really treat you as an adult and like, you know, you are the manager of your own realm and your own work. So I'm, I have a lot of autonomy. Mm -hmm. I get to decide things and I have the support of really brilliant people that I can work with and talk to people and learn from them all the time. And what I realized when I ran my own business was a, I hated talking about money. I hated following up about bills, like all of those really important administrative things that go into it. I just hated doing, but it's essential. I was like, I just like to do the work. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to do this other like finance and salesperson and all of this. So I don't miss that part. I think I just like being, and I felt quite lonely when I was doing it all on my own. Not that I say I wouldn't go back, but for the moment, I really, I love being a part of Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Um, so you mentioned that Microsoft reached out to you. I was just curious, um, and I don't know if you can tell me this, but um, is the interviewing process? I've heard, you know, there are always stories about these big companies with like insane hiring processes. Was this like, did you have to go through multiple rounds of interviews, or was this like more of a sort of just a mutual discussion, or how did that all come about? So when you interview at Microsoft, you go through a loop. So you meet many different people in one day. Mm -hmm. And the more people you meet, obviously, the, the better the indications that you're doing well. Mm -hmm. So how it worked out for me was because I was, there was a, they reached out to me. I was recommended by some people who I knew in the New York office to my manager in Seattle. And so I, I got to meet some of them beforehand, just casually. And then I was in Seattle anyway for SMX Advance. So they said, okay, since you're already in Seattle, like we'd love to loop you. And so I went through five different, five or six, I can't remember now, in one day. And I actually really enjoyed the process because mm. you, I really, really liked it. I think I was lucky with the interviewers I met, but it's quite an intense day because you start in the morning and then you meet one person, then they walk you to the next interviewer mm -hmm. and then go to them and then they take you to the next one. And so you have to remember to tell them like, listen, I need a glass of water or, you know, I need to go to the bathroom. It's totally up to you to tell them. But mm -hmm. what I find that most people who work at Microsoft are genuinely very like kind, caring people. So it was a good interview where they were asking me questions about myself, but they were also sharing their goals, their challenges and ideas. So it felt like I walked away from my interview, like really buzzing with excitement. Hmm. Being like, oh, now, you know, I, I've never, I want the job even more after I've interviewed for it because I like these people. I, I, I like the challenges that I think we can solve. So it was good. It was a long day and I was really tired at the end of it. And I had a glass of, tall glass of wine. But it was very <laughs> rewarding. Yeah. Was there any 
any question in particular they asked you that sort of stuck out as like, wow, I can't, you know, either I can't believe they asked that or wow, this was like one of the smartest questions I've ever been asked in a job interview? Oh, none of those like trick question type things. No, it was really more about, you know, here's our customer, here's our challenge, like, you know, we're the, uh, you know, we're going after a really big competitor, like, what do you think, how could we set ourselves apart or, mm -hmm. you know, how would you tailor your messaging for the different audiences we have. So I'm like, okay, if I'm talking to a C-suite person, this is how I change it. Or also they would talk to us about, okay, let's say you had a small budget, like how are you going to be more creative with spending it? I'm like, I know that, I work startup, we had nobody. I came up with more creative solutions than ever. So so yeah, what if people were like, yeah, this is, we have no money. I'm like, that's more money than I had in two years. So yeah, I can, here's all the things I can do with it. So, so that was the fun, it was very practical. Mm -hmm. And you know, a lot of the questions I got was like, why do you wanna leave your, your your own business and come work at Microsoft and so you know I had a good answer for that. Mm -hmm. um, so so after you took the job uh, what was sort of your biggest adjustment that you had to make um, or you know how is it different from your prior uh, startup gigs? You know before I was interviewed I'd, I'd asked Dwayne Forrest I'm like any tips and Dwayne was like listen you one thing you have to know is Microsoft is a completely different universe. He's like, it's a very friendly universe, but it's its completely own own universe. So those were the things that I had to adjust. Going from startup to a, a super huge uh, global corporation was also very different. Mm -hmm. Microsoft also has, we have a gazillion acronyms. So I'm like, oh my God, every every meeting they'll be like, and then they're like ABC of the XYZ. And I'm like, oh my God, what is this? What is this? <laughs> So that for me was like, oh, I need to learn how to, you know, uh, understand what people are talking about. So, so that was the one adjustment. And um, yeah, and again, just figuring out how to manage, like who got people to ask, making connections, because a lot of it was like, who do I need to talk to in engineering who can help me answer this question or, uh, and things like that. But like I said, it is a very friendly universe. And so it, it, I, I've been really lucky to make really, really close friends. Awesome. Uh, so now that you've been there for, it's been about three years. Uh, what, do you, what do you think has been four the most? Years oh, four years. Oh, man. Four years. Yeah. Oh, wow. Congratulations. I know. Time flies. Thank it you. It really does. Yeah. Um, so what, what do you think is like the most awesome thing about working for Microsoft for you? I think it's how much we want to make other people better. Mm -hmm. Satya Nadella, our CEO, even went on record and said that, listen, if you want to be cool, go work at any other company, not Microsoft. But if you want to really invest in and make other people cool and stand out, then Microsoft's the place to be. And it sounds kind of bizarre, like, well, you don't want to be cool. But like I said, it's so rewarding when you help other people succeed. And we see it in different aspects. I am a huge fan of what we're doing in terms of accessibility and, and leading the way with diversity and inclusion and leading the way with like ethics and AI or having these discussions about privacy and so on. It's like, we really want to do what's best for people. Mm -hmm. And I really love that. I really respect that. And it makes me really proud to see. Great. Uh, this leads to our next reader question from Melissa Fosh of SEM Russia and PubCon. She wanted to know, what is your biggest challenge in the workplace? Well, firstly, I love Melissa so much. So thanks for asking the question, Melissa. Um, my biggest challenge is balance. 
Mm. I travel a lot. So most of my job involves traveling to visit our different clients. And I head up the East Coast. So right from Montreal and Toronto and Canada till the southernmost tip of the U.S is my whole territory so like every single week I'm on the road and then at the same time I'm trying to balance understanding and learning about our new and different products and services creating content that will help me educate and share how clients can use it and then traveling on the road to deliver it mm -hmm. so it constantly feels like I am building the plane while flying it and while flying on a plane so mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> so it is about balance and yep. some months are super insane and some months are slower so I've been trying to make balance work for myself but every day it's a challenge mm. yeah it sounds like it um so one question I always like to ask all the people who have you know reached a certain level of successes um you know at, at some point in everyone's career they have a point where they were truly struggling so I want to ask you um you know was it at what point were you truly struggling in career? Uh, how did you deal with it? And what did you learn from it? Oh, man, I, I still struggle today. Like, I really don't see myself as any success. I mean, I'm always looking up to like my North Stars and being like, oh, when will I ever reach that point? But okay, I'll tell you one, like a big defining moment for me was early on in my career when I got let go. I was, I was made redundant. Like, a lot of people were let go. And it, it's such a horrible feeling, right? Anyone who's ever like suddenly had a job and then suddenly not had a job, like, you know, you, you're let go. It was, I just felt so horrible about myself and I was so worried and, you know, like, what will I do? What will I do? And then I sort of made this determination in my head that I am going to go and I'm going to try to work so hard and make myself indispensable. Like, this is a really crappy feeling and I don't want to feel like this again mm -hmm. and so that's what really drove me to go out and like learn and then speak and you know build a name for myself and try to do all of that was just I wanted to make sure I was indispensable to the company and so I'm like forever I changed myself into like um, always lifelong learner and that I find has been quite helpful Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, speaking at conferences. Of course, you're now at, like the keynote level uh, and, you know, but you started, you know, very small. So um, when you did like your first big conference, um, you know, were you nervous? Um, you know, do you remember like much about it? And like, how do you sort of view you know, like your initial speaking versus where you're at now? Like, how, how have you sort of grown from where you started? Well, one, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I, and the second thing is, I was horrible, so bad. Not to say I'm good now, but I was, I'm average now. I was like horrendous before. So I'll tell you how it came about. It was, so that I'd just taken my job at that um, startup, the one that let me be an entrepreneur and go out and do all the school stuff. Mm -hmm. And because one of their values was being the best, one of the ways I thought I could be the best was throw my hat in the ring for when, so SEO Mars, they were called SEO Mars at the time and like, early 2012, was doing a road show. And so they were coming to Sear Interactive in Philly and they put a call out for local speakers. And I'm like, okay, I really did this just to impress my boss. I'm like, I'll throw my hand in the ring as a local speaker just so I can report in my one-to-one -one with my manager that I did this thing. And then I got selected. I'm like, oh no, I didn't <laughs> want to be selected. I just did this to get like brownie points. And I'm like, oh crap, oh crap. And like lightning strike me down now and you know, <laughs> 
they never listened to you, darn it. <laughs> and I did it, and I was so bad, but I realized I kind of liked it a little bit, like when it was all over. And I also had, I met Jonathan from Search Engine Watch at that time, who introduced me to you at that time. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want to write for you, please. And so they, so they did. And and it was a very defining moment because I was on the same stage as like Ran Fishkin, Will Runnels, Joanna Lord, Jennifer mm-hmm. Lopez, like all these amazing speakers. Mm-hmm. And now I, I look back and I always tell like Jen Lopez because she was and Rand and Will Runnels, I'm like, you guys are my Oprah. You know how like Rachel Ray went on Oprah and then she got her own show. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you guys are my Oprah. <laughs> you know, thanks to you, like my whole career came about. Wow. So, yes. And they were so encouraging too, you know. That's what you learn from your greats is that, you know, they could have just ignored me and be like, you're like this really crappy, like random mo. But they were like, no, you know, you're going to do great. You'll be so awesome and so encouraging afterwards, even giving you like thoughtful feedback. Like, like who does this? Like, this is the type of person I so admire and I want to be like. And, and so, yeah, so that's how it kicked out from there. And then I remember I pinged. I was... Um, like bright, I'm like search engine. Uh, no, sorry, SMX had then that same year. SMX is putting up a call for speakers. I'm like, should I try again? And and I did. They had like some in-house PPC sessions. I pitched it and I got it. And I'm like, oh my god, I actually got it. I didn't think I would. And and from then on, like I just loved the people and meeting all the awesome uh, peers in the industry. And, mm-hmm. and so that's where it started. Right. And now, so you know. Lately, you've been doing, you've been on the keynote stage at a lot of the shows I've been going to. So, how has that been? Like, does it feel like you've sort of reached a new a new level in your your speaking career? Well, not well career, but you know, just in speaking. You know, it's still it's still, it's still terrifying yeah. to be at the part <laughs> of. So, like, I'm a big. So, I'll put myself in this. Like, if you are not terrifying yourself or feeling uncomfortable, then you're just stagnant and I never like you know it's very comfortable and easy to just stay where you are and do it Mm -hmm. I'm always I don't know I am so I had this terrible trait where I'm like oh let's push myself like can I do this can I do this and then I did and I love learning so I'm like okay what's different between like a regular session and a keynote like oh it's like the whole storytelling side and it's more strategic and could I do that I don't know and then you know I was really lucky I got a few and then I you know State of Search, actually, Shamans was the first one to put me on in the U.S. and my uh, as a keynote, and and then I really relaxed it. And I did it in a few, you know several international places, and PubCon put me back. And so it's been really, really amazing to do it, and I do like it. And yeah, you know, I, I'm still learning. Like I don't think I'm, you know, there's so many amazing greats to look up at, and it's, it's always trying to get better. If I can still improve upon myself. It's it's the better it the yeah cool um, so aside from speaking at the shows uh, you know I see you when you know when we're at shows together you're a great networker um, do you is there anything you can share with our listeners in terms of you know what are your, some of your tips for networking and how you approach it and you know obviously it, it can pay off hugely in terms of benefits benefits for your career later. So uh, if there's any, any tips you could share, I think that would be awesome. Of course. Well, thank you for saying that for me. I think I just, I really love people. And so I like going up and talking to them and I'm, 
I'm totally biased here, but I think search people are the best people on the planet. <laughs> they really are. They're friendly. They're open. They want to chat. And so I've really just gone up to people and just said hello. And that's often if you if you can just do that, it's been great. I realized as a speaker and then before a speaker that other speakers really want you here. Like when people come back and they give you feedback or they ask you a question, it means so much. So then I would always go up to somebody I admired and first things first, if you like something somebody did, give them the compliment. Like it really makes the days, but you know, be sincere. Don't go and like blow smoke for no reason. But mm -hmm. you know, if you genuinely believe in something like go up and give good feedback, be specific. Um, a good feedback model is, you know, like, hey, you know, I like this and be very specific about the feedback. Like, you know, this, you said this, and for me, you know, it helps them this way. And I'm so excited. Thank you so much. And asking questions, being interested, where did you fly in from? Or, you know, what are you most excited about? Like, don't do your usual, like, you know, where are, you know, what do you do? All of that, like open up with something a bit more personal and try to form a connection with somebody, mm. find common ground. So when I'm talking to somebody, I'll, you know, just during questions, they'll be like, oh, you know, I like Marie Kondo. I'm like, oh my God, I love Marie Kondo. I've tried to conjure my house, like find something in common and build the rapport from there. And then that, that can pay off. Absolutely. So yeah, ask lots of questions, but like beyond it, just your generic, like, you know, where are you from? What do you do? What's your job? Um, and, and be nice, you know? Like sometimes you'll see somebody, and I remember when I was like a small startup, that that person will be like, oh, where do you work? And I'm like, I'll tell them my startup name. Like, oh, I've never heard of you, and then they ignore you. Mm. And then when I got a job at Microsoft, they're coming over to say hello. I'm like, ah, I know you. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> but don't, don't be a jerk yep always good that's good advice and just generally in life too um yeah and, and you know the thing with networking too again that was sort of just how you sort of randomly pop you know uh bumped into jonathan allen who was then search engine watch editor at the show um mm -hmm. and, that, and that sort of transitioned you into writing as well or were you already writing at that point for uh industry publications no, no, no. That was my first. Was so you first. were my first editor, Danny. Oh. So I really, you trade me how not to harass editors in future because I know how much I. <laughs> you were so, you have always been so kind and patient and like truly, you're like my most, one of my most favorite people ever in this industry. So thank you, Danny. You gave me my start. You taught me all that I know. So I really can't tell you how grateful I am. Yes, and we need to get your writing more for Search Engine Journal, but shh, I, I won't say that. <laughs> uh, no, I know. I will, it's on my mind. I even have an idea for you. We'll talk about it after. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, when you do writing, like, um, is there a sort of an approach you have? I know you have, like, the journalism background, so it seems like a lot of the stuff you do tends to have that element to it. Like, a lot of, a lot of the stuff, especially lately, you know, it's very data-driven. Um, so do you have any sort of recommendations for people who are sort of aspiring to become, uh, contributors to industry publications or, you know, just generally start writing and get, get their name out there and known, like, what would you, you know, what, what would be your tips for people who want to get into, into writing for this industry? 
Sure. Okay, so a couple of tips that I have is one, make sure it's all about the reader. Like this is not your time to make yourself sound super brilliant or super smart. And don't put out fluff because you have a deadline. Like it's better to miss the deadline than to be like, here's five traits uh, XYZ person should have. And I'm like, okay, that's not that helpful, you know? Like no one's gonna get value from it. So I would say speak when you have value to add. And when you have value to add, Think about the reader, like who's that person? What are they struggling with? Um, what, how can you help them? And think it through. So like maybe my idea is XYZ voice search. Okay, what are they thinking about? What are they reading about in different sources? And then how can they apply it? Or how can they change their thinking or their behavior? So it's like, what is the change you wanna bring about? Um, or guide people, walk them through that. And it's it's all about the reader their issues and how you can be like a guide or a help to them and that's the formula if you follow that and just put yourself in what's best for my reader your staff will be fantastic you do not have to be the best wordsmith like you know sometimes perfection like they say isn't that saying perfection is the enemy of good mm-hmm. you don't have to come up with the perfect words in the perfect order though that helps but as long as what you're saying is valuable and can really make somebody's life easier or make them more profitable, then they will love it. Absolutely. Great advice. Um, so for yourself uh, nowadays, are there any uh, sort of resources that maybe you could recommend to people uh, for people who want to you know, learn about SEO or keep learning about you know, digital marketing and help advance their career? Um, like, are there any blogs or are there any people you think in particular people should be following? Search Engine Journal, of course. Mm-hmm. Such a great publication. I would say read it. Like I, It's my morning coffee read every day. So I, Even on weekends, by the way. Like I said, I'm, I'm a super nerd. So my, <laughs> it's my fun reading. So every, it's my routine coffee in the morning. And then I'll read my Search Engine Journal. I'll also I'll try to read as much as I can. So because a lot of my work is in advertising now, I'll, so I'll look at, you know, Search Engine, the Hero, uh, Hannapin Marketing blog, the PPC Hero blog. Mm-hmm. I'll look at Search Engine Land, Mars, like all of these publications. But then I don't just stay. If I stayed in just our universe, I try to look beyond it as well. So then I will look at like TechCrunch or Adweek. You know, anything Lisa Lacey writes is always so good and on top. So even if she's writing about something on like how Amazon is evolving, mm-hmm. it may not have a direct, direct application on my job, but it's fascinating. And then you'll see the connections between what some of our clients are thinking and what they're reading and what they could do and how can search tie in. So yeah, I'll, I'll try to read as much as I can. It's Doesn't it sound like nerdy and boring, Danny? But how I do that, I'll keep up. Uh, that's the only way to keep up is to consume and then you'll find ideas for yourself yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, that's what you know the best people do. It's just you keep consuming, keep learning. That's how you stay on top. Otherwise, you, just, you know, you run the risk of uh, <laughs> becoming, you know, just behind the times and doing things that don't work or don't matter anymore, you know? I know. So again, it changes so fast too. Like if I take a vacation for a week and then I'm like, I'm totally going to unplug and then I don't follow, I'll come back and be like, oh my God, I don't know anything. Yep. <laughs> so then I'm like, panic. So one of the most surprising things I know about you is that you're an introvert and like, I didn't realize this for so long because you hide it so well. 
So for, and I know there's a lot of introverts in this industry. So what's your secret for like, you know, even though, you know, you're an introvert, but you're like able to really turn on the charm and like be very social. So what's your secret? I think it's ensuring I have enough alone me time and I look I it's such a problem like I genuinely love people and then when I go out see them I get so excited and I want to spend time with them but then mm-hmm. I reach I hit my what you call like introvert hangover point where I'm like no I'm done I need to recharge and in the beginning I used to ignore that sign and myself and I just force myself like you know if you're at a conference especially like early morning like breakfast all day conference networking event dinner and then I go back to my room and it feels so unbalanced and so frazzled mm-hmm. so now I've learned is that if I uh, and I'm actually quite lucky in a way Danny because I work from home a few days a week and then I'm on the road a few days a week so I get to go out mm. see people and then I get to come back in my little tiny cave and an introvert and relax so yeah it's giving myself time so this very often I'm like I you know I'm very honest even with my team if we are together in a city I'm like I need to go introvert I'm so sorry I love you guys but I can't have dinner with you mm-hmm. I'm going back to my room so I, it's knowing actually what gives me my own balance and calm and I'll do that so I like if it's been a really busy day with lots of people then I can only have dinner with like a small group of people who I know really well or I can just go to my room and watch Netflix and be okay mm-hmm. and relax yep well that's great uh it sounds like the perfect balance for your for your on the road time and home time so that's great um yeah so here's one of uh let's see another reader question from Twitter uh, just the BP want to know what advice uh, do you wish that you had gotten when you started your career? So it's like the sort of that question, if you could go back in time and tell yourself, you know, some advice, what would you, what would you sort of tell yourself, you know, back in your early days based on what you know now? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question because it's so deep and I can think of like a thousand answers for it because, um, you know, I think that it would be around balance as well, because I'm very type A and I tend to like push myself so hard versus that, you know, then I'm more hard than I should. So I think it's all about like take the time to make sure your life is more balanced and then you'd be much better in everything you can do. So I used to think like I bought into that whole like, you know, Gary V hustle, hustle, like get up earlier, go to bed later, all of that for so long. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I you know, I regret on missing out some things in my personal life. Like maybe when my son was really young, like I didn't spend as much time with him as I should. And, you know, it's it's never worth having these regrets and actually taking a two day, taking a weekend to relax and rest and not touch work is, is much more productive. Actually, you'll be more productive about this. So this is something I learned quite later on. So I just want to encourage people to do the same. Like, if you are having writer's block, for example, don't just sit at the computer and torture yourself to be like, come on, brain, think. Take a walk, step away, like build in time for you and what makes you happy, and you'll be so much more happy and successful as a result. Absolutely. That's great. I don't know if that's good advice. But oh, no. At least that's- that is very great advice, yeah. I know, yeah, like even just for myself, I know that sometimes just getting away and like sometimes I've had some of my best ideas in the shower. So it's like, you know, you just sometimes yeah. need to get away from the computer and get away from everything. So, um, yeah. Uh, another reader question. Uh, David Iwano, he wants to know, how do you stay so positive when our industry can often be so negative? 
Oh, I love David. It's like I said, people like you, Danny, and David. It's, we have so many good people. Like, you know, the negativity truly is like such a small fraction. It's so easy to ignore. There's like way more good and good people and positive people and encouraging people than it is. Like, Danny, if I'm having a terrible moment, and you know it because you're my confidant, like I confide in you so much. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm tearing my hair out, the key is vent. Mm -hmm. breathe let it go and then it's gone and it's done then you can just go back to being the person that you are and be happy so, so that's what i think i think it's so easy to ignore because you just look at the good and then you ignore the bad or talk if you really can't if you're so troubled then talk to a few close people and mm -hmm. get it out of your system and then don't dwell on it so dwelling obsessing on things is it's so futile and hurts you so let it go Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if you can build yourself, yeah, that little network of people where if you are having that, you can just sort of reach out to them. Absolutely. <laughs> that's so that's so important. Uh, so yeah, exactly. Just... And I'll, I'll give you one example. So like, I, mm -hmm. so my son is he's 12 now, but he gets he gets, he's been bullied a lot at school. And like last week, I mm -hmm. got the call that no parent wants to get I was on the road in Atlanta. And they're like, you know, just some your son was beaten up at school and like he's literally his ear is bleeding so he's torn his eardrum and mm. you know I was it was so horrible as a call and you're like life is you know I'm like how unfair is this and as a parent you're just raging mm -hmm. right like I wanted to I want to rip that kid from limb from limb but you know I'm just I messaged one of my co-workers like Rachel and Monica who I'm like really good friends with and I'm like I'm freaking out I'm about to go into like a client meeting and this is what's happening like I'm ready to burst into tears and you know it's just the people they'll be like don't freak out this will heal like don't worry I'll go and look into all these researchers like go to your meeting and we'll figure it out take this action and I could just breathe and be a human and having really great colleagues who are supportive. You know, it's just talk to the friends and then it makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay, next question. Another reader question, um, sort of related to the last one. Uh, Jason Channel of Infinite Digital uh, says that every time he's talked to you at a conference, you have always been super nice and very knowledgeable. How do you know all the things and not get a big head about it? Which I guess is sort of an ego question. Like, you know, so many people tend to get a big head once they're, you know, sort of well-known in this industry. So how do you sort of keep your head about you? Oh, my gosh. Firstly, that is so nice. Thank you, Jason, for that really kind compliment. I don't know if it's deserved or not. But, okay, so we already established how I know all these things. It's just trying to be super nerdy and read all the things. And there's... So many smart people, you know, just within Microsoft, or like who contribute to search engine journal. And Danny, when I talk to you, I learn something new. So I, I learn from others. And at the end of the day, like I really don't think I'm always looking up to see where I need to go next. Like I really don't think I've achieved anything wonderful. Like I, I'm a super nerd, and I've been really lucky that I get to share my nerdiness with the world, and people want to listen. But I'm still, you know, every time I get invited or I get accepted, like it still gives me that thrill, and I feel so happy and excited that people have asked me so no i just love it i feel so honored to be a part of it there's no need for ego we're all always learning yeah absolutely and nobody knows everything too that's the other thing that, nobody you know, knows everything you no know, everybody has their own particular experiences and skills so um but yeah, yeah. um okay uh, next question if you if you weren't doing what you're doing in marketing search what profession, what profession would you love to be uh, doing as a career? 
you know, one of my biggest goals, like also one of the reasons what drew me to journalism was I used to watch that show, uh, Lonely Planet. It was, I think, on Nas National Geographic or something like that. Was, yeah. I want to be a travel travel writer, like a travel journalist. So that would have been my ideal dream job. Mm -hmm. Or like I also have grandma mode. I like to like make jam. I like to cook. I like to knit. Like it's a, I would have done like some kind of, <laughs> I don't know, lifestyle writing, something like that. Who knows? <laughs> very cool. those are things I'm really interested in mm -hmm. very cool uh, what what has been the best piece of uh, it could be marketing SEO or professional advice that's been given to you um, and who gave it to you um, it was it's been my great friend Joy Archer who she she works with Microsoft she's not at Microsoft she works with us and she's one of the most wise people I know under the sun and she knows how insane and type A and driven and how I do that. And she's like, you know, Purna, sometimes in life, it's, um, she'll always encourage me to sort of like breathe. And she's like, don't try to try to care so much because I would do and I would rip myself up into this frenzy. And so for me to be like, you know, you're right. I can still care enough, but I don't have to make everything like do or die or everything means the world. And so for me, that has helped. So again, it's only, I think it's more particular for me because I am insane, but I, I don't know <laughs> if it applies to anyone else, as you know, daddy. So, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't agree with that diagnosis, but oh, okay. <laughs> uh, on the other side, what would be the worst piece of advice that you've ever heard, you know, either marketing, SEO related? Oh, any of that hustle porn stuff, like I, I do not subscribe to that at all. I mean, yes, work hard, but you know, there's more to life than just that. And you know, it's, you have to take your time as well. And so don't burn yourself out. So that's just a recipe for disaster that when people push it. Mm -hmm. uh, so looking back, um, if you had advice for newcomers to the industry who eventually want to become successful. What do you think is sort of the key to success in this industry right now? See, learn as much as you can, but to, and specialize in like one area. There's so much going on. So I used to joke how I'm like, by search all I do SEO and PPC, we're for so long. <laughs> but at some point, I remember you cannot do it all well. And so then I had to make a choice. So when I started at Microsoft, because I'm on the advertising side, I'm like, I've just got to, I just can't keep up with everything in SEO. So now I'm like, okay, I'm a PPC now. I work in advertising. There's so many facets to it I draw down. So I'll do that. But I mean, I still keep up a little bit with ISEO and I, you know, with overall the industry, but don't come to me for advice, but I would not consult on it because it's not my main thing. So know a lot, but then go deep in one area and that's how you'll step your, set yourself apart. Read about it and then share your knowledge with others. I really find that when you, the best way to learn something is to try to teach it to somebody else mm. and you'll end up learning so much more from it. So every time if I write an article for you, Danny, I'll be like, then I'll go and like double check my assumptions, recheck everything, or I'll try to find out because I want to give the best advice. So I'll go and really drill deep and test things. And so then I'll come up with like, oh man, I'm so glad I wrote that article because I learned three things as a result of it. Mm -hmm. so, so do that selfishly as a way to help yourself, but you're also helping others. Excellent. I like that. Uh, what are you most excited about right now in uh, search marketing or or just in the world of Microsoft, I guess? So there's two things that I'm most excited about. One 
for us is, of course, how AI is helping us better understand our audiences. And there's all these awesome new ways that we can connect and engage with our audiences at times that's best for them. So I think that that's really interesting because we have so much more power at our fingertips now as advertisers to craft the right message, to reach the right person at the right time, you know, our holy grail. Mm -hmm. So that's the one thing. The second thing that, again, is this whole push for diversity and inclusion in this industry. And in particular, I am so, I am so, it makes me so proud to be a Microsoftie is when we see the things we're doing, especially around accessibility. I don't know if you ever saw the commercial that we had for Xbox during the Super Bowl, where we made this adaptive controller. And, you know, it, it helped these kids who have to just play and be like other kids. And, you know, if that's a quote in the ad, it's like, you know, when everyone plays, like we're all the same when we play. And that was so touching to me. And there's so many areas we're doing it. From the hackathon, we had the seeing AI, which used AI to describe what somebody who's seeing impaired or blind would, it describes the world around them. It can, they can read a newspaper out loud for you. It can read the menu out loud for you. It empowers people. Or when we did the thing for somebody with, with Parkinson's, they, they designed this thing that you wear on your wrist that can help you like write again. And mm. you know, you don't give a thought to like how moving it is to just be able to write your own name again. And that's what it is. But of course, it also helps with like, you feed yourself, right? If you you can do all these things for yourself. So yes, yeah, so it's that side of what technology can do to really make a difference mm -hmm. in the world. That's what gets me so motivated every day. Yep. Excellent. Okay, uh, now we'll go to some reader questions. Uh, let's see, I have a question from John Doherty of Credo. He wants to know, how soon do you see voice becoming a real player and how people consume content through search? Ah, firstly, love John. Hi, John. Congrats on your gorgeous new baby. Um, voice. Yes, isn't it? It's so exciting. There's a lot of misconceptions, I think, around voice that is going to, like, you know what? One stat that I wish would disappear because it's incorrect is that fake stat, which is mis. Uh, mistakenly attributed to Comscore, which is like 50% of all searches by 2020 will come from voice. Mm. That's not the case. It was predicted by Andrew Yang when he was at, um, I think when he was at Baidu before, back in 2014, he made this prediction. Yeah, so it's very old. Oh. And he said 50% of it could come from voice and image. So it wasn't even just voice. Mm. So it's not it's not a Comscore. So that one, I would say, let's just get that out of our voice is still developing. And I think that when the computer mouse came about for the first time, right, did we know what to do with it or what it would be? And now we can't imagine computing without the voice. It's doesn't, it didn't kill the keyboard, but it's just another way to access things more easily and quickly. Same thing when e-commerce e first came out, like people poo-pooed it. And now look how much it's grown. So in the same way, I think voice is gonna continue to grow and just be one it's just another UI, it's just another technology. Mobile doesn't kill desktop, voice isn't gonna kill text, we're still gonna type. Uh, so I think voice is growing and it's gonna grow alongside, you know, Gmail letting you, suggesting 
text that you should write, like write your email or Cortana reminding me about my appointments and so on and so forth. It's just, we're gonna outsource more and more things to the computer. And so that's when we'll outsource more to the assistants and voice. So it is growing, it's growing steadily. In fact, if we compare year over year our Microsoft research into voice, like we just put out our voice report in April, we find that satisfaction rates keep going up year after year. So this year, 80% of the 7,000 people total that we surveyed, 80% of them responded high satisfaction rates with voice technology. And that's a much higher number than it was even two years ago. So it's been interesting. As the technology gets better, we get more comfortable using it. Mm -hmm. Are the complexity of things we do with voice is going to grow. So I would say the next few years, next couple of years are going to be really interesting to watch how it evolves. But I'm, I don't have a set timeline to share. Yep. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and I know a lot of it is, too, you know, is that level of frustration goes down because I know I, I even still run into issues where I'm like trying to do voice search and it's like, you know, can't understand it or can't figure it out. So yeah yeah it's, it's, it's just still once, buggy. Once we, yeah it's like once we can figure all that out i think it's going to be amazing it's sort but it's still so really early and you know and voice search you know it's like the early days of the internet honestly you know if we look back at how far we've come in 20 years it's like we're at the really beginning with voice search so um, exactly. And and also, I think there's uh, two other things. Like, if you had asked, like, if you and I had talked 10 years ago, and you, you know, we had said, like, oh, how's like this PPC advertising thing going to evolve? Like, we would never have been able to predict it to how yeah, it is now. Absolutely. So, it's the same thing with voice. Like, I think it's going to grow. It's going to be important. It's make, it makes life easier. And we've always gone towards convenience. Mm -hmm. The other misconception I would like to sort of clear up is when People talk about voice, they think voice only, but that's not the case. Like very often, there's more often than not, there will be a screen involved too. Like think about Amazon Echo Show, or if you use it on your phone a lot, your phone has a screen. So there are other options in there as well. Yep, absolutely. Good one. Okay, next uh, reader question. We have uh, Bas Vandenbeld, uh, who is the founder of Speak With Persuasion and a digital marketing consultant. He wants to know what would be the the top reason that people should switch to Bing. What is the what search element is the game changer in your opinion? Okay, well, firstly, Baz is amazing, and his public speaking tips are hugely helpful. They've changed my game, so he has even a free newsletter. So I would, uh, I think, people should sign up for that. Baz, I think a good answer to his question is one: we'd never say like, don't use Google. Right, that would be silly. Like Google is really big. If you want to advertise on Google Ads, like please do so. But why do you want to limit yourself to one player? Like why live in a monopoly? Isn't it always better to have two players in the game or two or more? So if you are looking at Bing, there's a lot of things that go into Bing. Firstly, it's a level of intelligence. Like there's a lot of things with just Bing consumer side. We've been first to the market. For example, like the in-image search, where you could search within an image and then go ahead and click on the link for where to buy it. Like that's something that we came out with first. Or how we try to give you both sides of the story. So if you ask, like, is coffee good for you or is it bad for you? Like you'll get both sides. So you can get a more fair. It's no filter bubble. So that's the consumer side. But on the advertising side, what I'm so excited about is all of these different innovations that we have launched. Um, just most recently, something to shout out about is like the LinkedIn profile targeting. 
Microsoft Advertising is the only one that lets you go ahead and layer on these professional demographics to it uh, within your ad. So you can really adjust your bids and channel your budget towards the most qualified and relevant audiences for you. We have ad formats that Google doesn't have, for example, like our video ad extensions is just one example. So there's a lot of innovations that go into it. And we have the entire might of Microsoft, which is like this technology company that owns an ad business with over four, four decades of success. The might of it is behind us. So there's a lot of um, benefits to this that no other company can have. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Uh, I have another question from Melissa Fash, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. She wants to know, what are your thoughts on how search engines view or will view content that's created uh, by AI versus content that's created by humans? This is a question I'm personally interested in myself. But uh, yeah, uh, what do you do you think that, you know, once we get to that point where, you know, AI is actually able to create content that's, you know, passable as if a human wrote it like do you think there's uh how are the search engines going to look at that like will they be able to tell the difference or like how will that all play out well i'm going to caveat my answer and say that this would be a much better question for my colleagues who work for being webmaster tools so whether it's Fabrice Canal or Frederick Dubu, I would say ping them. That would be a really good question to ask them. Mm -hmm. I know Fabrice is keynoting at PopCon this year in Vegas, so corner him there if you see him. The other thing is there is already a lot of content that's created by AIs on big publications. It wasn't. It, what was it? Was it Washington Post or somebody else that gets their very subjective articles that are written by a bot? Mm -hmm. So things like sports results or election results or things that you know can fill an existing template with just information. That's already out there. But yeah, I would say because I work on the advertising side of the business, I'm not the best person to answer that. Fair enough. Um, last question, last reader question, Lisa Williams from Oregon Health and Science University. Uh, she wants to ask you, well, she says, we, we rely too little on insights from customer support and sales teams for content strategy. What can we do to help brands change that? Well, firstly, Lisa is sunshine in human form. Like, if I know, Danny, you know Lisa. She's oh, yeah. so amazing. So for everyone, if you don't know Lisa, ping her, get to know her. She is phenomenal. That's such a good question. And it should, I 100% agree, everything that you do should stem from the customer. So if you can't directly get the voice of the customer, for example, if it's too difficult to survey all of them directly, the next best thing is to talk to people who have the voice of the customer, which is people in customer service or sales or support who spend their day talking to them. Like you must, as any marketer worth their weight in gold, would be the one to involve them from the start. So you can do things like hit up these people who talk to the customers all day and ask them, like, what do people like? Like, why did they choose to buy us? What are the biggest objections they have? Or why did they choose to buy from a competitor instead? Things like that. You can also, even if you don't want it, if you like, I hate humans, I don't want to talk to humans, there's still a solution. You can go online and read reviews and feedback about your product or service, and you'll hear from your customers' own words. You'll see trends about what they really like and what they don't like about you. And that's important.
And you can also look at how your customers are talking to your audience. I mean, your competitors are talking to your audience. So they will have done some of this research. So yes, do not ignore it. You can make the case. Even for us, like I sit on the customer experience design and delivery team within Microsoft, and everything we do is focused on what's going to give the customer the best experience possible. You must hear from them, create it for them. They pay your paychecks. Do not go with your gut as instinct or to quote Avinash Kaushik, the hippo, right? The highest paid person's opinion. That won't work. And if you have to do it, you can be like, let's test it. I'll do yours, but let me also try something customer centric, like whatever objection you have to overcome to get the customer's point of view in, do it. It'll, it will be worth it. Nice. Thank you for the question, Lisa. And uh, so where uh, where can uh, people who uh, want to connect with you um, find you on social media or elsewhere? And also, is there anything in particular of yours that you'd like people to check out, uh, maybe that we haven't already talked about in, the, in our discussion here? No, but I'm obsessively on Twitter, so you can... Hit me up on Twitter if you have any questions. I'm also on LinkedIn a lot. So these two places are usually the best bets. Always happy to answer questions or connect you to people I know who could give you the best answers. Um, so yeah, do not hesitate to reach out. Cool. Final question. What's next for Pernavergy? Oh my gosh, I don't know. <laughs> right now I'm going to take a little break in the summer. I've got a vacation coming up, so I'm very excited about it. And then I'm going to rest, recuperate, and be ready for fall season. I, I get to go talk to some of our cool customers in the meantime and hear from them what they like, what they don't like, what they're doing, and try to put all of that together to share and help as many people as I can. Excellent. All right, so Perna, as you know, yesterday I put out the word across uh, my various social networks that I was interviewing you, and uh, one tweet from Alan Blyweiss stuck out to me, of course. So as we clo close out our conversation, I just wanted to share that with our listeners. And Alan tweeted, does Perna realize how amazingly grateful we are for her presence in this industry? And also, I want to add one to that from on uh, LinkedIn, Aaron Levy also said something similar. He said, "What well, the question I want to ask her is, why is she so phenomenal, and how can we all get to be as great as she is? Um, and I think that sort of just sums up Perna in a nutshell, those two uh, little questions. And that's so true. Like, you are a shining light for our industry, and we're all incredibly grateful to you for just being you. Um, you know, you've helped thousands of people over the years by sharing your insights and knowledge through speaking and writing. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, you're just an inspiration and example for all of us to be better humans. Uh, your kindness and positivity are just a bright light in our industry. So uh, on behalf of everyone in our industry, thank you for all that you do and just being who you are, Parna. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to cry. Like, you guys are so <laughs> sweet. And, you know, you guys, I think, give me far too much credit. And but thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Like, oh, my gosh, I love you guys. And I am so Happy they're going to learn from you and try to channel 10% of your, your greatness. So that's all that I'm trying to do. Yep. Well, Perna, thanks again so much for joining us today and sharing your story. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I know that our listeners do as well. Uh, that does, us, does it for us for this edition of uh, the SEJ podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening today. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll turn in again, uh, tune in again next week uh, for more great stuff from us. 
if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our podcast. And you can also follow Search Engine Journal at SE Journal on Twitter. And you can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. And if you want to follow me, I am Mr. Danny Goodwin on Twitter. That's it for us. Uh, thanks again, Parna. And so long, everybody. Thank you, guys.